I think the, the biggest struggle with analogy sometimes is you are required to have a very good understanding of what you're trying to build an analogy of. If you don't have a good understanding of it, I mean, it's kind of like if someone says, can you explain in layman's terms what quantum mechanics means to me? Well, if you don't have a good understanding of quantum mechanics, you can't. So that, that is one thing. You have to have that good technical knowledge to be able to present it in a way that the average person could understand. Because if you don't, if you don't understand it yourself, how are you going to get someone else to understand it? Welcome to the Waste No Day podcast, a podcast specifically for and about the home services industry as it relates to plumbing, heating, air conditioning, and electrical. More than a podcast, Waste No Day is a credo, a determination, a mindset. It is a never-ending discipline. It is a refuse-to-lose pursuit. It is a wake-up call every morning to waste no day. Now here's your hosts, Brian Burton and Nate Minnick. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Waste No Day podcast. Your host, Nate and Brian, are hanging out with you, and we are excited to bring another episode to you. This week, we're focusing on the blend, bringing our mixers to the table. We're going to be focusing on bringing the technical side and the communication side together into one harmonious moment. It is kind of funny that this is this episode one week after living a life of balance versus imbalance with one and only Mr. Ed Staub, because this really is about balance. Balancing that technical and the communication piece. Search your heart, Luke. It's also the week after May the 4th be with you. So <laughs> we're just bringing balance to the force all the way around. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Nate. No problem. <laughs> we're excited to bring Tyler Zimmerman on the show today. He's going to be talking to us about how you can effectively be both technically minded and sales proficient at the same time. And we're going to even do some role play with him. It's going to be great. We're going to talk to him about his life and what he's doing now. But before then, we're going to turn to Brian for our quote and break this down for you. You know, it's not that I'm not a Star Wars fan. It's really not. I'm a Star Wars fan. Uh-huh. I grew up with it, you know. I uh-huh. love me some Mandalorian. You did. You were there for the original, 1977. Mm. Was it 77? <laughs> I actually didn't know it was before I was born. Oh, you were born after 77? I was born two years later. Really? Yeah. Oh, can't tell. Yep, 79. Yep, I remember the 70s like it was yesterday. <laughs> I'm uh yeah, I like the new Boba Fett series. That was awesome. Loved the Mandalorian. Like the movies as they come out, but yeah, I don't know. It, it's a lot, isn't it? Uh well, it, Disney does what Disney does and they uh, you know, they milk the cow. They hype the crap out of it. Uh, May 25th, 1977 as it turns out. Wow, look at you go. I knew you were a Star Wars nerd, bro, but I had no idea. Yep, well, you celebrate May 25th. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Bringing balance to the force. How about that quote, Brian? The major work of the world is not done by geniuses. It is done by ordinary people with balance in their lives who have learned to work in an extraordinary manner. Gordon B. Hinckley. Yeah, Gordon B. Hinckley was definitely a Brian Burton fan because you are definitely doing the majority of the work. And not a genius. I thought you were going to... <laughs> Well done. Because you're not a genius. Well done. (laughs) Oh, yeah. 
shout out to all the normal people out there, uh, present company included. Uh, but you know what? It is it is absolutely right. It is the majority of all of us who are doing what we do every single day. Makes the world spin. Yeah, buddy. I'm, I'm looking at you here, Nate. Not a plumber. Not an electrician. Not an HVAC uh, tech install or anything of the sort. Not a salesman. <laughs> Seriously this, not. This is good. This is good. Keep going. The compliments are, are dripping. It, it would be tough to think that Nate would do well in a selling situation. Although being around our training here enough, you, you may be able to, <laughs> to uh, hit some home runs. But that being said, I, I don't know of a person in this organization who does more of the work that has to be done here than Nate Minnick, or at least in the, in the past decade. Oh, thanks, buddy. You're welcome. Now, now back on to, to now onto the jokes. Now back to the geniuses. <laughs> now let the geniuses conspire some more. Oh, uh, yeah. Speaking of a genius, Tyler is uh, a genius in his own right. And he's bringing the subject today, uh, talking about these two concepts of, uh, as we mentioned before, technical and sales. And regardless as to which side of that line you fall on, we want to be pulling towards the middle. And that requires us to constantly be improving in whatever areas of our weaknesses. And one of the things that you brought up actually in training here recently, Brian, was the concept of avoiding complacency by not becoming, and get this, a sea squirt. The sea squirt. It's my favorite animal now. <laughs> Why don't you uh, wax eloquent here for us a little bit, Brian, and uh, bring us up to speed on the sea squirt. So the sea squirt, uh, yeah, an analogy of complacency. The sea squirt uh, it hatches. So a sea squirt is like a little spongy volcano that could be like stuck to a rock or some coral or something. We saw one in California, I don't know what it was, back in like 2009 or 2008, something like that, uh, in Oceanside. And I touched this little thing, and it just spit water out, like straight up. Like, what the, what was that all about? And I didn't have Google then, but I did like some research on it, and then it came up again here recently uh, with my kids. And, and we dug into it a bit. They hatch as like tadpoles. They have a, a primitive brain and like a poorly developed eye, but that they can see. And a wiggly little tail that, that helps them swim, even like a kind of an underdeveloped spine. And their job, they cannot eat. They have no mouth, so they would starve to death pretty quickly. So their job is to swim around and find a good spot that they consider home. And they will... Attached to said home by that eye. <laughs> they just like gl glue themselves to the rock <laughs> or the coral or whatever. And uh, once they've glued themselves to their new home, they no longer need the eye. They no longer need the tail to swim. They're there for life. They actually no longer need to think. They don't even need that spine. So what do they do? Since they can't eat because they have no mouth, they digest all of that. Yeah. Yeah, they, it eats its own brain and then just becomes a spongy form. It's not lifeless, but it doesn't think. It doesn't work anymore. It's done all the work it needs to. It's found a cozy spot, and it gets complacent. Now it just sits there, and the waves wash plankton and whatever else in and out. 
uh, and it just catches and digests this food kind of automatically. So it becomes a shut-in, if you will. Surrenders its freedom also. Yep. Can't go anywhere, can't move, it's stuck there until, you know, that, that one wave washes it out or, I don't know, a stingray eats it or whatever happens next. Um, it's stuck. So it, it surrenders all of the work and all of the hunt and the chase and the stress of paying mortgages and bills and searching for that next big thing and setting and achieving goals. But it coughs up its, its freedom, like you said. It's, it's stuck in this position for the rest of its life. And I was just thinking about that, that being a good analogy to, you know, what we all have it in us to become, um, which is complacent, which is like, I got this position right here, man. It's pretty, it's pretty comfortable, you know, time to attach. Yeah, buddy. We're cool. Right. And sit here and feast on what comes by. And we got a maid in the shade. Fat and happy. Yeah, we're, we're we're management team. We got a nice podcast. Got a nice company ride. It's time to put our feet up and chill, right? Bingo. And the so now what? Turn off the audio books. Forget about listening to other podcasts, other trade podcasts. And coast. Listen to uh, got to listen to Gary V on the uh, to the point podcast this morning. It's only like twenty five minutes or something. It was like shower, brush my teeth, get dressed. It was over. Mike thought they were going to do another hour on NFTs, man. I was all excited. <laughs> he barely talked about it. <laughs> um, yeah, but that's the that's the uh, like the natural mode is to just go into complacency and drift off into the sunset or whatever. And you have to fight against that, and especially if you're not at a point where you feel like you're achieving your your biggest goals or or your wildest dreams in your career. The first and first thing I would recommend is to turn that music off. Stop listening to music in between your calls, at your desk, whatever you're doing. One thing, just make the work day the work day. If it's between the time you leave your house to get to work and the time you get home, maybe when you leave the shop or whatever, your last call, maybe you can turn on your music or whatever. Um, other than that, you're only listening to things that are helping your career or development. And I would say probably career. Waste no day. Listen to this podcast. It's like 88 hours or something now. 90 hours. Um, what better way to spend 90 hours than listening to Brian Burton? Right. Pontificate on stuff I know very little about. <laughs> yeah. Um, audiobooks on the trade, other podcasts on your trade. At this point now, there are po- podcasts on every trade you can find that would just make you better and give you little ideas and and little hints on how to do things slightly more efficiently. Don't be a C squirt. Don't uh, find that home and attach yourself and, and, and ingest or digest your brain Uh, exercise that, that muscle Let's, let's grow and develop. And I, I rolled it out to the technicians as as such, and then posted it on some social social media pages. Um, but I want you know I want everybody to be cognizant of that C squirt thing, and I'm going to be hammering that into my kids as they as they grow older. That it's so easy to do, to get that comfortable feeling and, and not push anymore. 
But I would like to see that sea squirt develop teeth. Yeah. Ooh. Yep. Forget the tail. Get getting the little wiggly tail. Grow like a shark fin. <laughs> Start taking down beach goers. <laughs> I love the analogy, Brian. And that's certainly what we are all about here at the Waste No Day podcast is doing everything that we can to reject complacency and be forcing ourselves to get better. Uh, that's something that Tyler Zimmerman exemplifies in his life and has done so as he has taken over the role of service manager here at our office location. And with that, we're going to put Mr. Tyler Zimmerman in your passenger seat. Our guest today is Tyler Zimmerman. He joins us as one of our own here at Lancaster County and uh, one hour heating and air conditioning. He serves as our service manager and has been working here with us for well, well over a decade, I believe. Uh, an original native to Lancaster County, Tyler has grown up living on a farm, gotten into the automotive industry, and eventually found his way into the trades and was one of those uh, learn-it-as-you-go type guys. Although he had a great background in the automotive industry, he was a cut, he cut his teeth under uh, the tutelage of Mr. Scott Rule, actually, and was able to uh, develop into the man that he is today. Now he does a fantastic job at leading our teams here, both in sales and service. And we're bringing him in as an expert, not only in the subjects, but in his own life and how to bring those two topics together with that. Welcome to the show, Tyler. Hey, Nate. How are you? Doing great, man. Good. It's good to have you on. Good Glad to, to welcome you back. Been a long time since the crypto episode where Tyler made his Waste No Day debut. Yeah. Waste No Day debut. That was what, last year? That was last year. That would have been... It was summer. It was right before Elon was on uh, Saturday Night Live because we were talking about him yes, mentioning Dogecoin and which way it was going to go. And uh, a spoiler alert. <laughs> went up. <laughs> and went, it went up right before he went on the episode, and then it crashed hard and has continued to do so since. Ooh. Sitting at around, what, 15, 16 cents a coin now? Uh, to be honest, I wasn't even paying attention. However, I do remember what I said that episode. So, what'd you say? Screw Dogecoin. That I would never buy it. <laughs> yeah, I did say something like that. Yeah. Vindicated. <laughs> no, good, good call there. I hope everybody took my advice. Yeah, I'd, uh, I'd wish I'd sold, but my my buy in average, which they'll do of all the coins you've ever bought, I started buying Doge when it was point zero zero eight eight tenths of a cent per coin, and then I bought some at like forty cents, and it's at sixteen now. So my Average is right around where it's sitting now. So not too much won, not too much lost. But fortunately, I'm in the NFT game now and doing pretty well on that. Yeah. Soul gods, soul gods. If you guys haven't checked them out. That's SOL. S-O-L-G-O-D-S. Yeah, check those things out. Oh, are we going to make the Waste No Day NFT anyway? Are we going to do that now? or Might as well. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I don't know, Brian, but uh, we can surely uh, take a look at that, joining the crypto market. Uh and uh, if you've heard Tyler's voice before as the silky smooth that, uh, that it is, you may have heard it on our TikTok account. We actually have a TikTok account, the Punctual Pros TikTok account, and uh, he is the current holder of our most watched video. Yeah, uh, what is it, four days running? Well, I think we made it Friday. Oh, is it? Fr okay. Yeah, so we're at about five days now. <clears throat> yeah, it's uh, five days running and... Is just about to hit a hundred thousand views. Yeah, yeah, man. I think we went from three hundred followers to over twelve hundred over the weekend. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. It's been shared like five hundred times. Yeah. What did you What did you talk about in that? 
Uh, how to test capacitors under load. That's right. Yeah. That Sexy was, topics. Yeah. Very. Hot stuff. Very. That was... Uh, <laughs> Apparently, was, a lot, a I'm fair like, amount agree. Tyler has a hundred thousand views, and he shows some cleavage. Or how do you how do you get down like that? I'm like uh, w- watching the video, going, I wonder if this works for the microwave because I keep blowing a fuse with my microwave. We're replacing our appliances at the end of the year, so I don't want to. I want to replace the microwave right now. And then my wife said, no, "That's not the color we were going to get." And then we get another one anyway. So I need to get that thing. You want to stop by later? Stay bro? tuned for our next episode when we video Brian taking apart his microwave. It's already been done. I keep changing the fuse and putting it back together and <laughs> it keeps blowing them. So. Yeah, I doubt that test would help you out. Well, that is fantastic, Tyler, and we're, uh, we're glad to have you on uh, our TikTok channel, and we're glad to have you on the show today. Uh, we're going to be talking about the idea of how to join together the concepts of technical proficiency with sales mastery. Right. So many times in, I think even outside of the trades, like just in general, right. You're, you're generally a technically minded person or you're all about the sales and communication, but how do we mold those things together into the same department, the same human being, the same technician in a truck and do it successfully. And And you you are one of those guys who has done that. Yeah. You can be, you see it often where, where somebody's good at one, um, and great at the other like a really technical guy who can do all right at selling or, or a really high end salesperson who can be a good HVAC tech or plumber or uh, electrician. What you never see is somebody who's great technically and also great with communicating and, you know, for lack of a better word, selling. Uh, Tyler blends those two very well. Very, very highly competent, skilled HVAC technician who's in love with the trade and loves everything about it and could spend the rest of the day talking about the HVAC trade. We'll also go to your Nana's house and get a huge job out of it. And she'll love me. <laughs> she will love me. <laughs> and then when uh, son-in-law calls later, like uh, you ripped off my Nana, Tyler will do a very good job of technically explaining everything, and then we'll be putting one in at the son-in-law's house later. But tell me more about how to test a capacitor under load. (laughs) (laughs) For real? Yeah, please don't. Okay. (laughs) Well, uh, I mean, I guess to answer your question first, um, I think people in general, oftentimes, they often hear you're either a technical person or you're not, right? So they put themselves in these boxes. Mm. Yeah. Unfortunately, they, they tend to, if they think that they're only a technical person, well, that's, that's what they are in their head. They put themselves in that box where they're not able to do necessarily anything else. Do you think that's think like one of those that. self-limiting beliefs? Mm-hmm. You know, this is all I've got, so this is all I can be. Right. So I see it the other way around more often than not. You have a guy that's very, very good at building rapport with a client. And he's very good at getting jobs done. You try to explain something to him technically. And right away he goes, I'm not a technical guy. I can't do it. Don't even bother explaining it to me. And I just refuse to accept that. I mean, we've all had to learn different things. It's it's not difficult. So when you say that you refuse to accept that, I mean, what does that conversation sound like? Do you, do you reprimand them? Do you coach them up? Do you, do you change your approach? What does that look like? Uh, I don't reprimand. Uh, if anything, I build them up. So at some point, they were brought down to the point where they don't think they have technical ability anymore. Um, My goal is to try to make that an easy transition for them to realize you can be a technical person. You can do both simultaneously. It's not one or the other. 
but you have to, that's a lifting someone up. You can't tear them down at that point. You, you just have to lift them up. So you lift someone up by one, maybe showing them ways that they weren't aware of before doing it with them. So oftentimes a guy will say, well, I, I just can't do something like that. Maybe they're even on the job site and they say this. Then you do it with them and all of a sudden they are capable of doing this. So oftentimes you have to do it with them right then and there to show them, hey, you obviously have this ability. We just did it together. So, you know, this whole idea that you don't have any technical proficiency is a bunch of nonsense. Um, but, yeah, I think more than anything else, it's more self-limiting. Limiting, I think people box themselves in into certain areas. They think that they lean in one direction and can't lean in the other direction. Well, hey, great teaser there, Tyler. We're going to dig into that a little bit deeper. But first, let's uh, let's check in with your own story here. Uh, so you're currently serving as the service manager for one hour heating and air conditioning uh, in our hometown here, our office, our business. And we're proud to have the, you doing that for us. Uh, but tell us, how did you get started in the trades? What's kind of your story? Uh, well, I grew up on a farm, um, got into auto mechanics. You know, I'm a technical individual. I always liked understanding how things worked. And you know, I was that guy that would tear something apart and Sometimes back then I couldn't get it back together, but <laughs> I, was, I certainly could get it apart. Um, Are we talking about microwaves now? <laughs> really anything. Um, you know, on the farm we had this implement shed. Asking for a friend. All, all <laughs> kinds of different things in it, motors and different types of machines. And my best friend and I, we would go in there and just start tinkering around and tear things apart. I don't know how we didn't kill ourselves a few different times, but... You know, that was really where it all started, just this curiosity of how do things work. Um, so from there, I transitioned into the automotive world. And I like that, but it's just not something I want to do professionally. So I came and started doing HVAC. So this was actually the only place I've worked at for HVAC. I haven't worked at other companies. It was just so good I didn't have to go anywhere else. But uh, then I had the pleasure of taking on this position at the beginning of the year. Nice. Now, did you learn on the job or did you have some type of schooling uh, to learn the HVAC trade itself? Uh, I had a couple weeks of schooling in Arkansas, actually, at Ultimate Technical Academy. Oh, good stuff. Yeah. So there was some schooling. I mean, the vast majority of it was on the job with our service manager at the time. Um, I did have the unique advantage that I'm a master technician with the automotive stuff and refrigeration there is the same as it is in your home. And did you go to school for automotive? I did. Okay. So you did have the advantage of understanding the refrigerant cycle and all that, which is fairly complex in, in terms of the trades. Right. We, we don't go as in-depth in the automotive world, like superheating and subcooling are foreign topics to an automotive technician. Um, but you have an understanding of how the stuff works, what the components do, things like that. So I had a pretty easy transition than somebody who would have you know, came from retail sales we're building homes into the HVAC trade. So how long did it take you once you got here and started your on the job training to like get into your own truck? I think I was in my own truck probably three or four months later. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Probably starting off with maintenance. Yeah. I did stuff. maintenances. Um, I actually think that first year I was on call during the summer. Cause I remember my first on call weekend was actually a July 4th weekend. <laughs> you were the lucky yeah. duck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what year was that? 2011, 2010, oh, okay. one of the two. Yeah. It's been a while. But yeah, that was when we had, you know, one guy on for 
Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Right. And I right. think that first weekend, I had like 36 hours or something like that. So <laughs> I definitely... Uh, this was a great idea. Why didn't I do this sooner? <laughs> it was a great baptism into <laughs> what the service world can look like. Right, right. But I had a good teacher at the time. You know, he wasn't the easiest to deal with, but he was a good teacher. Right. So... Okay, so obviously you started your career um, in the HVAC industry about a decade or more ago and have been learning the all the ins and outs of that since. When exactly did the concept of sales enter into the picture? Pretty much right away. Okay. So it was. I've always been very comfortable with talking with people, um, and that was always part of the job. I mean, I had a good understanding, even in the automotive world, that to get work done, it has to be sold. It's not a morals thing. I mean, this is reality. You know, whether it's a repair or a recommendation, that work must be sold. Um, so it's the same way here. You know, we if we're going into a home and let's say I found a blower motor that needed to be replaced, you know, yes, it may needed to be replaced, but I still had to sell myself to get that job, if that makes sense. Now, when you were working in the automotive industry, you know, different shops run their their outfits differently. Were you the guy that was also interacting with the client or did you have like a front man and then you were doing the work on the back? So there was one garage I worked at where we were actually the front man ourselves. All the other ones, we had a service writer. So we would basically write up the work order ourselves, what our recommendations were, what needed to be done. We would give that to the service writer and then he would actually discuss that with the client. So there was very little interaction between the owner of the vehicle and the guy working on that right. car. And of course, that's very different in the trades where you are so low in the house and it's just you right and i actually prefer it this way you know one of my frustrations at the one garage i worked at was i always felt that our service writer wasn't the best and i think his official title was service advisor or something like that so you know i would have these recommendations things that needed to be done he would maybe get a b and c sold but not d e and f well that was not the result of my work and I always felt like, well, if I could have done that, I probably could have gotten that. So that was one thing that I really liked here was I was the sole person interacting with the customer about my findings. You know, I was able to um, use some of my technical ability to help build the value behind what I was finding. Whereas a service writer in the automotive world oftentimes is not a mechanic. You miss a lot of that value. I mean, they're there to sell the job. They don't necessarily know what you did or how you did it or you're showing the client those types of things. Yeah. So Tyler, obviously you had, uh, you had the experience in the automotive industry, not only learning the technical aspect, but in interfacing with a client. And as you just mentioned there, being able to explain the work that you were about to do or that you were recommending to do. So when you transitioned over into the HVAC world, uh, I imagine that came with a lot of um, similarities in, in terms of discussing mechanical items that need addressed and wear and tear that came with it. But that doesn't necessarily guarantee that you're going to be, as Brian mentioned earlier, anything better than just good. Now, earlier in the show, you described yourself as mechanically inclined. You were the type of guy that took stuff apart. So how does one make the jump from, hey, I can at least explain why you should change your capacitor to every time that I do this, or most times than not, the customer is in agreement and I am great, quote unquote, at sales. Well, the first thing I could say is if you have a history of doing this and not being able to get it, you need to change something up. Um, if you keep doing the same thing, expecting different results, definition of insanity, I think we've all heard that. 
Um, but ultimately, if something's not working, don't expect it to work tomorrow. If you have a history of something not working like that. For myself, I think one advantage that I have is I'm a pretty empathetic person. You know, I can often, whatever you want to call it, you get a feeling or you get an impression about how a person is or how they feel, despite the fact that they haven't told you this. Um, you can kind of tailor the way you are with this individual based on their personality and, and maybe what mood they're in or whatever else. It's something I've always had a natural ability to do. Um, you know, if I was a, around a guy that was older, more rough around the edges or something like that, I could be a guy similar to that with him. He would feel, feel very, very comfortable with me. Not that I was faking it necessarily, but it's like a... The chameleon approach. Yeah, and it's almost subconscious. Like, I don't even think about it when I do this. It's, uh, you kind of tailor yourself to the person sitting across from you. And that's how you are around them. So if I'm around somebody else that's not like that, you know, I don't want to be stuck in this technical mindset where I'm just trying to explain these technical things to somebody who has, could care less about any of that information. And I think that's what a lot of guys struggle with. They're, you know, they'll be very technical with an individual that maybe appreciates that. And maybe that's what they're looking for. But they do the same thing with somebody that could care less about that kind of stuff. They just want to know what's going on. Maybe they're more interested about how your weekend was, plus your recommendations. And then you're, you're focused on explaining how capacitors work or how electrical motors work and why they need to do this or why they need to do that. So let's talk about the divisions that naturally occur in the trades. Um, so, you know, we have the, oh, I'm a technical guy or he's a technical dude. And then we have, oh, he's a, he's a communicator. You know, he's a silver tongue. Do you think that occurs naturally or are there things that are set up in the trade industry that automatically divert people into those two groups? I think both can be true. I think there is a natural aspect to it. You have people who are naturally good as communicators. Other people are naturally good at technical things. Um, I think, unfortunately, in the trades world, you can often get lumped in one of those groups. Right, and that's what you were talking about earlier. Yeah. And in and, and the uh, self-limiting beliefs and things like that. So why why does that happen? I mean, is that a, is that a cancer, the trades, that is um, odd compared to the rest of society, you know, in that, that we force people, so to speak, into, oh, you're a technical guy or you're a sales guy? Or do you think that happened? I mean, did you see the same thing in the automotive industry? Uh, in the automotive industry, not really. I mean, you had to be technical to do it. So if you didn't have technical skill, you, you just didn't get the job. That was often how it worked. Is that not the case in the trades? Uh, depends what trade you're doing. I mean, oftentimes in the automotive world, the technical knowledge that you had to know was much higher. So you had to be a technical individual to do it. Um, in our world, it's almost more important to have better communication skills to a certain extent. Why is that? So we have all the technical knowledge that we need here at our business, our place of business. We can send a technician out that maybe doesn't know everything, but he has all this support behind him to make sure that that job gets done. What's critical is that he can communicate because you could have a guy that knows everything, but if he can't communicate at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. Maybe the homeowner doesn't trust what the guy is saying, despite the fact that what this guy is saying is correct. But if you cannot communicate effectively with people and you give this impression that you're not being trustworthy or, or whatever the case may be, you may not get that job, despite the fact that you're being truthful and honest about the issue that's actually going on. That's where the body language and communication training comes in and is so impactful. It because makes a difference. Nerves. 
like the same nerves that you might be the most confident, uh, you know, guy in the world at 23 years old and have the best possible intentions and in, in the heart of gold. But you go up to talk to that woman that you have your eye on and you become a nervous wreck just because you're nervous because you're not good at this. You look extremely unconfident and untrustworthy and you give her the creeps and she wants nothing to do with you. Not because you have bad intentions whatsoever, but it's no different in this until you become good at this part of communication and um, approaching people and asking people to become the owner of something that you know is good for them, right? You already have that uh, in your arsenal. You, You know this thing is going to benefit them and their family. Until you're good at asking for that business and closing that job, you, you're, you should be expected. You should expect that you're going to have low success rate. And the problem with especially high-performing technical technicians, particularly in the HVAC world, these guys get very technically proficient. They get cocky. I mean, we all do as we get better and better at our craft. And then you go and try to become you know, a communicator. Let's face it. Most of the guys who are just big haters on the selling part, they tried it and were horrible at it. So they just, they just go on about tearing down anyone who's good at it. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm not off there. This is what they do. Yeah. I, I was the same way until I got good at it. And then you realize that there are just professionals at the communication part. Like there are professionals at the plumbing part or the HVAC or electrical part. And you realize that you, there are people who do it wrong in both ways and give the, the trades a bad name, but that's not everybody and it's certainly not the majority. So until you've had the communication training to match your technical training, you should expect that you're going to fall on your face. It should go no other way. Like why would it? Uh, the, the challenge is they, these guys get down on themselves and then selling becomes the problem, not me not being good at selling is the problem. And it's, it's tough to, I mean, what we want to do here is get the message out. Like you just need to be trained, go find some training, go to a company that does a lot of training at communication and body language. So to your point, they get nervous, the nerves take over. They're not doing it well. And what the client reads almost like it's written across your forehead is you're lying to me. And that's not the case. It's just what it looks like because you're nervous, right? You know, we're, we're big fans of all kinds of different training here. One in particular is the Black Swan Group with, you know, a couple of their guys who have been on the podcast, Brandon Voss and Derek Gaunt. And they, they talk a lot about this, and it's very impactful stuff when you, you don't know what your finger tapping that you don't even notice you're doing is, is just your body saying, I'm uncomfortable in this situation because I'm not used to it. But what, what the client is reading on that finger tapping, I've seen this before. He's lying to me. Right? <laughs> He's trying to rip me off. Yeah, and just it, wants in it my wallet. could be something like, hey, I'm just nervous because I'm not used to communicating with people. And like you said, the homeowner may be like, what's he nervous for? Is he trying to rip me a new one? Right. He's or, anxious because he's, yeah, he's trying to get up in my wallet. Right. And we've seen time and time again where you have individuals highly proficient in what they do yet very unsuccessful in the home because they can't get jobs done. You know, Highly the proficient they, on the technical side. On the technical side. So they're highly proficient, but they struggle with getting jobs sold, getting recommended work done, 
And then you see other guys that don't have any of this proficiency. So very technically limited, I would say. But they're here. People love them. People request them. They'll request those techs over techs that know more than them. Now, why is that? You know, why would you ask for somebody that knows less about HVAC to be in your home? You make me comfortable, buddy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. But I, I tend to be the same way. You know, even as a technical individual, I want to be around people I'm comfortable with. You know, as much as we don't agree with it, it's not necessarily the right or the wrong thing to do. We make judgments about people all the time without ever talking to them. Well, take that judgment and make it even worse. You know, you've, let's say you made a negative judgment about somebody and then they're in front of you and they're just, I mean, blundering left and right, you know, falling all over themselves. It makes it even worse at that point. And then sometimes it's pretty hard to redeem yourself in that situation too. You're not friends with these people necessarily. You're there as a professional. They're not obligated to give you a second chance like a friend would. So it becomes very difficult at that point. But that's where your technical knowledge has done you no favors at that point if you don't know how to communicate. It's probably actually taking you the other way. It can. There is such a thing as information overload. So a technical person can go into a home. You know, they, they take pride in what they know. They want to inform people of how things work. You know, this is what they want to do with people. Um, to a non-technical person, this can be very overloading. And it's just so much information to digest at once that all of a sudden you're not in a position to make a decision anymore. So that is a real thing. It's called information overlord. Overload. Um, <laughs> the overlord. The, the overlord of information. <laughs> that's, a, that's an edgy mistake right there. Yeah. But I've seen it happen many a times where a client was in a position to make a decision. I couldn't keep my mouth shut, and I just had to fill them in on all the beans on how I tested this and how this works and how that works. Why? It's a... Uh, a subconscious desire to just spread that knowledge, I guess. Is it is it pride? Maybe a little bit. Like, man, I, I know the ins and outs of your system. I just got to show you no, how no, much no, I no. know. <clears throat> no, it's not. I don't not. know if I would say. It's, it might be 20% pride. It's 80%. I want to show you that you can trust me technically. And here's here's why. Here's how much I know. I think, I think that's part of it. I think another thing is, I think a technical person, they understand how it works because they understand it technically. So I think when a client may be hesitant about such and such, automatically the assumption is, well, you don't understand it. I'm going to explain it to you the way I explain it, how I understood it, and this is how I understood it. But they can't understand it that way. You know, it would be like an algebra teacher trying to explain equations to someone who doesn't know anything about equations. He's going, well, the, the X is this, and, the, and they're like, what the heck are you talking about? You know what I mean? X is a letter, bro. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think, yeah, I think some of it could be that that's a way that we're trying to build confidence with what we're saying is by trying to explain it technically. And then I think the other side of it is I think we build this box around how to understand certain things. Well, that's how we explain it to everybody else. Yeah. And that's, that can be a mistake because for one, the, go ahead and assume that the homeowner you're showing up to serve they, they're assuming you know what you're talking about. They just, they just naturally assume you know what you're doing. They paid you. Occasionally, you'll get an engineer who's going to test that. Right. But like 90% of the people you're going to serve are assuming already you know what you're talking about. Your job is to make them comfortable. Yeah. First that's, and foremost. That's the white coat 
the white coat scenario, right? You walk into a hospital, you see somebody with a white coat, automatically, boom, he's a doctor. They probably know what they're talking about. Our technicians all wear uniforms. I mean, there's a certain credential to showing up to a house with the uniform on, regardless of whether you have right to be wearing it or not. But it's the same concept where you naturally have faith because of the dress. Right. When you pay for something, your assumption automatically is that they know what they're doing. I mean, that's granted. That's a given at that point. Yeah. So you, you, and you have guys who, let's just talk, you know, UV lights and the duct work, who, who's their MO is to go in and talk about what the UV light does, the technology that goes into it. Mm-hmm. And there was a saying in uh, vacation ownership, if you're going to sell somebody a vacation, spend 90% of the time talking about the destination and 10% talking about how they're going to get there. And technicians, HVAC technicians in particular, seem to be more guilty of this than anybody. They spend 90% of the time talking about the technical aspect of what a UV light does and 10% talking about what it actually does for the client. Mm -hmm. And that's a mistake because... Nine out of 10 clients don't care how it works. At all. Like not even 10%. You want to throw it out there, but at at most 10%. If you get someone who really pushes you out on how the technology works, dazzle them with your info. Dazzle them with your knowledge. But if that's not the case, let's talk about what it does for their family. Right. Get one in your home. Experience the benefits Get one in your family's homes. Let them experience it. Ask them how they like it. Ask previous clients how they like it, what it's done for them, and go tell the next client. That's it. Agreed. And I, I have a weekly email that I send out every week for love it, buddy. service now you're, text. You're doing two quotes on it now, too. I love it. I am. So I, I try to find some sort of motivating quotes on there, inspirational quotes. But there's a portion on the bottom there. You know, I think it's very important that technicians understand how this stuff works. They need to know the technical side of this stuff. They can't be telling people wrong things or incorrect things, you know, that what the expectations are for certain products. So I have all kinds of links on there, you know, how UVC systems work, how ionization systems work, how HEPA filtration filters work, et cetera, et cetera. And that is for the technicians so that they know 100% how these devices work from a technical basis. Right. Uh, but there's a note underneath this, and it talks about this information overload, that this is a very real thing, and that most people do not need the vast majority of this information that you're reading. This is for you as a technician to hand out if you need to. But this doesn't mean you come in right away and start rambling off all the specifics on why HEPA filters are able to catch you know, particles that are under one micron in size. The average homeowner does not care about this whatsoever. And if anything... You overload them with information like we mentioned previously. It's pretty difficult to make a decision. What are they going to have to do now? They got to think about it. They're going to have to think about it. Right. And they might need a couple weeks to think about it. Right. All and they're going to take your card yeah. and they're going to put a magnet on it and put it on the front of the fridge and, hey, hey, I'll remember when I go to get ice for my cup that I need to call you back. Don't worry. This is often the, I need to think about it. I need to discuss it with my husband. Mm-hmm. I need to research it. I need to ask a friend. This is often the objection you get when you have overloaded somebody with information. Right, because their ears are smoking and they're, they've been asleep right. with their eyes open for 20 minutes. They could have been on the edge of saying yes or no, but now you've given them so information that they need time to process this. And all of a sudden, maybe they were about to say yes, and now they're like, well, I don't know. 
maybe I just need to look into it more. I didn't realize all this stuff. Um, the other part of that is we don't want to withhold information from people. You know, this isn't a, we want to give them as little information as possible and make a decision. Every situation is unique, but it is a very real thing. We should not be going in as technicians and just dumping all this textbook stuff on people and then expecting them to make a decision while, while, while we're there on site. It's a very difficult thing to do. I mean, uh, if you're curious, call a life insurance agent and tell them to give you all the data on how that life insurance policy works. <laughs> and then good luck on making a decision. Sure. Yeah. So. Well, speaking of making a decision, Tyler, I mean, in a, in a team environment where the dichotomy is set up as almost opposing, right? Mm-hmm. Sales against technical, technical against sales. How is one supposed to make a decision that I want to live in both worlds? You know, so we all, we all come in with perhaps a natural gifting, maybe some are more uh, in the middle than others, but certainly some are on the extremes. And how do we, how do we begin pulling those extremes more towards the middle where the communication only like, Hey, I don't need to learn that. Or I I can't do that. Um, Guys are like, no, actually it is important. I I do need to know how this works and I do need to know how to do it. Uh, And the guys who are like, have a, have a conversation with a human being. Uh, Give me a manual, please. You know, how do we get both sides of those extremes to start working towards the middle and not just, living in the middle, but respecting each other's giftings. I think uh, the big thing is starts at the top. So with the leadership, for one, the leadership want, needs to want that. So we talk about that a lot with our team or here, that you can be both and that it's ideal to be both and that there, there's nothing wrong with either or. Like, for example, sales, you know, the big scary word sale, sales or selling or something like that, you know, that's, we have a negative connotation to that almost automatically when you hear that word, but there's a way to explain it to a technician that, Hey, all work is technically sold at that point. You're not ripping anybody off. You're not taking advantage of anybody. It's not greed. I mean, this is for the continuity of business. It must be done. Um, that usually will help. So if you have guys that think, well, selling is just a sham. It's a waste of money. You're trying to just make more money because greed and this and that one, you need to own, what your definition of selling is and, and how you explain it to these technicians. So when you explain it to them in a way that we're not in business to rip people off, we're in business to give people options, let them make decisions on their own. But at the end of the day, yeah, we do want to sell work. We want to do work. We're here to make money. Uh, most guys understand that I've gotten very, very little kickback when it's explained in that manner. If you just go in there and say, I want you to sell this and sell that. So we make more money. Yeah. You're going to get that. What about the other direction? The, um, the sales guys that are more like, I'm good, I'm good, bro. Like, you know, I, I just talk my way around things. I don't need to learn all the nuts and bolts of it. Yeah. If you're a service technician, you need to know what you're doing. That's how I work around it. Um, if you're not in a hundred percent selling position, if you're a technician and there's tools in your truck, you need to know what you're doing. All right. So let's talk about developing those skills. So earlier you mentioned about how you can walk somebody through uh, their natural aversion towards like, I don't feel comfortable doing this. And then all of a sudden you're doing it with them and boom, it's done. Mm-hmm. And, and instilling that belief, give us some examples of how you have done that in the field where you've taken a, a guy or two, you know, that is more, um, more on the communication side of things and a little less uh, confident on the technical abilities and how you've begun developing that into them. Uh, so for example, we have a technician, very, very good at selling, 
not particularly good with some of the technical side of things. And he was very insistent that he just was not able to do these things. Like, I'm not a technical guy. Don't even waste your time. It's just not for me. I went out on job sites with him and gave him a hand with some of the things that I was asking him to do. Showed him is really not that hard. And before long, he was doing it on his own. Now, what was the major hurdle that you had to get over there? Was it just something in his mind that had to click? Did you have to force him into doing it? Or or was there something that he actually needed physical training on? I think a little bit of all three. Um, there were a few things with electricity that didn't click for him. So it was very difficult for him to imagine, like, what he was going to do to get this job done. You know, oftentimes you kind of have an outline for how you want to proceed with a repair or installing something. He had a very difficult time kind of planning this out in his head, like where he wanted to start, where he was going to be in the middle, and where he was going to be at the end. Um, He had a little bit of trouble understanding how the stuff was put together because he didn't have a good, good understanding of electricity. So, yes, I see you have it wired up this way. I have no idea why I'm wiring it up this way, if that makes sense. Right, the, the theory. Right. Thirdly was he never did this before. So there was this intimidation factor. I've never done this before. I don't want to do this. I don't think I could even do this. And that was the attitude. We went out there. We did it, explained it, did it right in front of him. He actually helped me while we were doing it. And uh, he got to see firsthand that one it wasn't insanely complex. Two, he could understand it. It, it wasn't beyond understanding. And uh, three, it could be done in a timely manner. This wasn't something that took hours and hours and hours to do. You could do it in a reasonable amount of time. Now, you've recently started employing the idea of virtual reality training into mm-hmm. helping guys become more technically competent. Mm-hmm. Speak a little bit about how you're utilizing that tool and how it's being received in the field. So the guys like it. Um, Obviously, for those that have strong technical competency skills, it's probably not needed very much. But bottom line, I mean, in my opinion, let's say you're a very good communicator. You're not very good technically. I think you need to get good technically because it's going to make your job on site that much easier. You get to spend more time doing what you're effective at, which is communication. If you're spending an hour diagnosing something that most guys can diagnose in 15 minutes, that's 45 minutes worth of time that you wasted when you could have been doing more productive things with your time. So that's really how I talk to guys about why they need to focus not only on their communication skills, but also their technical skills. Because we do have scenarios where guys are, they're extremely good communicators, but anytime they run into a problem or, or they see something that they weren't expecting to see, all of a sudden their calls stretch out for quite a long time. Their communication tends to go down because they're trying to get the job done. Maybe they don't have as much time to talk to the client, build that rapport, build those options. So overall product productivity goes down because they're sitting there. One, they don't understand what they're doing. Two, they're trying to figure it out while they're there. And three, they're, they're wasting a ton of time. But that's the big thing for me is with VR, it gives you the ability to hone your technical skills, not in front of a homeowner. You get to build that confidence. You get to develop that routine. So on a, on a service call, let's say it's a no cool. What's my process? for how I run this call. Guys like myself and some very, very high technical guys, we often take for granted like how we approach these calls and, and what steps we take. Because we've been doing it long enough, it's, it's like breathing. Whereas if you ride along with some of these younger guys, you can tell right away it's an issue. Sometimes they have to sit there and think, well, what am I going to do next? 
or, okay, so I'm going to a no cool, what am I going to look at first, right? So VR gives you the opportunity to, to nail down a process before you're ever in a client's home. If you have a good process, you have a good technical understanding, you can spend more time doing what's effective. Right. And you don't have that pressure of an actual homeowner looking over your shoulder at, in reality is what they do a lot of times. And you're trying to troubleshoot in your mind, like, um, what should I do next? That's always a a tough situation. (laughs) And we've all been there at some point. Um, you know, it certainly happens even when you think, you know, most everything, it, it still happens on occasion, but it's even worse when you just don't have very good technical skill. Um, maybe you've limited yourself by saying, I'm just not a technical person. And, and that's what you say, whatever the reason may be, that is a difficult thing to overcome when you're in front of a homeowner, they expected a professional in their house and they feel like, well, we, we just paid however much money to have a guy in here and he's can't figure out what's going on. He's calling 10 different people trying to figure it out. Yeah, and that uh, that VR training is super cool. You're using the Oculus headset, so it's like you're actually looking at a unit. You have to pick up your tool bag and take out the meter and actually apply it to the unit and do all those things. So it's a great tool, uh, specifically for like younger guys in the trade who are coming up, but also even just brushing up on some skills that may have kind of uh, rusted up a little bit. Absolutely. Um, you know, we need to take pride in what we're doing. We want to provide the best level of service to homeowners that we possibly can. And uh, I know some guys had mentioned that they don't, they get caught between a rock and a hard place when they don't know something amongst them, amongst their peers. So if we're in a meeting together, let's say I ask, hey, John, what's the answer to such and such? If he doesn't know the answer, that can make him feel very uncomfortable. I was the exact opposite. I was most uncomfortable in a home when I didn't know something and the client was expecting an answer. They're like, that's why we called you because we thought you knew something and you're telling me that you don't that's when i was the most uncomfortable by far yeah so the vr training you're using for technical competency and certainly seeing some good effects there as well as just general overall training uh, in the field work and all those types of things and what about back on the sales side what is the virtual reality side of training sales or can it only be done in the face of a client and so what brian often does is uh with with sales training is actually do role playing where you're forced into having the conversation. Obviously we can't actually, you know, have a unit that is leaking right there in front of everybody, but we can have a conversation where I have to communicate to you, Hey, this is leaking. This is not going well. This is broken. This is not working properly and work my way through the objections that somebody who's the stand in customer for that morning is going to put on the table. Yeah, I, w- I would agree hundred percent role play is a big, big thing. Um, one, you're actually doing what you're supposed to be doing. So you're sitting there having a conversation, not just saying, well, yeah, I talk about this with people or I talk about that with people. Uh, it forces you to actually go through your process, so to speak, your communication process. Right. Now, you're you're the type of guy that, Tyler, that has, uh, you live in both worlds very, very well, and you've blended them together into your own personal way of dealing with a client as you review back upon your career and the things that you have learned and picked up along the way, what have been some good like takeaways that you say like, Hey, this was something that really helped me progress technically. This was something that really helped me understand the communication side. And this is how I've put them together so that I am, you know, the full picture technician in front of the client. Uh, for myself, I was always good. Technically. Um, it just comes 
fairly easy to myself, understanding how those things work and things like that. I always felt like I was naturally pretty good at communication as well, but probably linking it together. Uh, hmm. I mean, honestly, a lot of training here helped over the years. So I always felt that I was pretty good at communication, but we had a lot of training here. Um, Ed Staub, Matt Buckwalter, Brian Burton, um, all thank these, you, thank you, all these training. Yeah, you're welcome. All uh, these training. Ed, Ed, we actually had Ed on uh, last week. Last week, yes, last week. Listen to that episode. Yeah, good dude. Um, Absolutely. We used to see him every Wednesday. Well, or was it one Wednesday a month? One, one Wednesday, Wednesday a month. month. Yep. One Wednesday a month. I don't know if he would remember me. Maybe it's been a little bit, but obviously he would. Who, who could forget me, right? <laughs> no. But uh, a lot of what he said really helped. Just with you know, why you do what you do, uh, how to communicate with certain different personality types, um, mirroring, for example, things like that. Pace match mirror. Right, which were novel ideas at the time. Like, I never heard of these things before. Um, But even me implementing some of those things into my routine made made a world of difference. And then, obviously, the more and more you do this stuff, the more comfortable you get I mean, uh, you're pretty hard-pressed to find many 15-year-olds out there that are super comfortable with just talking with anybody, right? At least a real person. Right. You, you get nervous, whatever the case may be. Um, you do that for 10, 15 years, you're a pro a lot of times because you've had to talk to that many people. Um, Brian and I talked in the past, like, you know, go out with a friend and, and just force yourself to talk to somebody that is outside your comfort zone where you would never talk to these people under normal circumstances. You may be stuttering, you may be stumbling all over yourself and sweating bullets the whole time, but the next time I bet you won't be sweating bullets necessarily. You might still be stuttering, maybe fumbling up your words. Maybe the third time, now all you're doing is stuttering. Well, right. Before you knew it, 10 times later, you're, you're doing just fine. Um, a lot of this is getting out of your comfort zone, forcing yourself to do something that you've never done before. And then also making yourself do that every time, it, it becomes habitual and it becomes natural. You, you own it at that point. I mean, if you ever take me skydiving, I'm going to be a nervous wreck <laughs> the first time. <laughs> These are going to be shaking. You might just have to chuck me out the plane. I don't know if I could keep my legs under me. However, I bet you the second time, it ain't going to be that bad. But like I did the first time. It's nothing. <laughs> that first time, yeah, I'd be a... Might have some cleaning up to do when I land on the ground. <laughs> we'll have to take you up on that. A Dove ND sponsored uh, air jump. Skydiving event. Yeah, I'm in. Let's not video it. I'm in too. <laughs> Let's video the fourth one. If we don't video it, I'll be good. <laughs> oh, Tyler, this is good stuff today. And uh, what we've been talking about here is the concept of blending uh, what seems to be, unfortunately, two opposing sides, the technical and the communication piece. Um, and now you're in a role that is basically coaching. I mean, that's, you know, the service manager, of course, you're putting out fires and you're, and you're, you know, uh, handling logistical things that need addressed. But in many ways, you are, you're the coach of the team. At least that's how the service manager role functions here in our organization. And so as you've embodied that role here, and you said you took over the beginning of the year, and, and uh, as I mentioned, we're proud to have you on the team. But what have, what have been some things that have come to your attention as like, wow, I, I didn't expect that I would have to deal with that in this role. I, I didn't see that this was going to be something that so many guys struggled with. And what have been some things that have been kind of a learning ground for you? Well, the one is what we're talking about, 
is this idea that I'm a technical person and I can't sell or I'm a person who can sell and I can't do technical things. Um, I always knew some of that existed. I just didn't realize as much, you know, when I took this position. But ultimately, I think a lot of that, it, it comes from the top down a lot of times. So if you have a service manager that says, you're a technical guy, that's what you do, right? That's what they're going to end up doing. If you say to a sales guy, you're a sales guy, that's all you're going to do. You don't have to worry about the technical things. Well, guess what? They're not going to know the technical things. Conversely, if you have a, like myself, for example, if a guy tells me that all he does is sell, he doesn't know any technical, he's incapable of that, that's not good enough. He's going to learn. Okay, We're going to teach him how to be technical. But owning that myself has helped because the guys look up to me for guidance on that. So if I sit there and say that if you're a technical guy, that's all you're doing. If you're a sales guy, that's all you're doing. Um, whereas if I say you're going to do both, all of a sudden you'd be amazed how many guys actually are like, yeah, let's go with that. Let's do both. And now you got guys that great communicators weren't very good technically. Now they're good technically. You know, they're getting better every day that that goes on. We have guys that are very good technically, very poor communicators. Every day their communication is getting better, better, better. I get surprised a lot. Some guys, uh, you know, like oh, terrible communicators, and then in the home, they're they're just killing it. They're doing a great job. But a lot of that is you have to own it up top, and then they see that. You have to be a good example for them. Now, do you do any, like, intentional pairing of, like, hey, let's put uh, Mr. Communication over here with Mr. Technical, and uh, let's make those guys ride along together or sit beside each other or train? Uh, not so much like that, just because we have – enough calls to run that it's difficult to tie up a guy like that but with ride-alongs I do do this so if I know we have a guy who wants to work here he's a very strong technical guy he rides with one of the very good communicators that's often how that works okay yeah and then what what do you expect what is it like your expected result from that pairing uh one that they can learn from each other but two the guy that has very good technical skills, the one who's doing the ride-along, that he comes out and sees that I can do both. I've seen how he communicated in the home. I mean, a lot of these guys that say they have very poor communication skills, when you ask them, how many times have you been with a technician with strong communication skills in a home? That number is very small, oftentimes. Incredibly small. You'll have a guy say, maybe five times. That's crazy to be able to see something like that only five times. Well, Tyler, I wonder if you would be gracious enough to do some role playing here with us on the show, uh, as our, our listeners may have picked up over the last year and a half of episodes. Brian and I do have slightly different personalities. Uh, Brian is definitely a very detail oriented, extremely high C. Wait, what uh, universe is this? <laughs> hey, Dr. Strange is coming out. <laughs> Check that one out. Uh, but no, just kidding. Um, would you be able to demonstrate how you, uh, bring to the table, you know, a different approach for a different client and, and blending together that sales aspect, aspect, excuse me, and that technical aspect at the same time, whereas you are, you mentioned earlier, you're, you're chameleoning yourself into the person that you're talking to. Let's what give you, it a go. What are you thinking? Let's, let's do, let's see, we're heading into summer. Let's do a no cool call. Uh, so you're out at my house. I am, uh, little hot and sweaty, you know, a little frustrated, a little upset about uh, the situation. And you're going to tell me that, 
something is broken and needs fixed and we'll go from there. Okay. I know if Nate's hot and sweaty, then Google came out with some kind of new marketing tool. <laughs> he's, all, he's all turned on. Excel had a new release. <laughs> Can't wait. Well, let me think here. Why don't you tell us, why don't you uh, explain how to test a capacitor under load and then uh, tell him about how much this repair is going to cost and then present the option for him to roll that same amount of money into a new system should he decide to get rid of this 16-year-old system. Well, hey, hey guys, <laughs> I wasn't walking in here looking to spend any money on this podcast. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> Get nervous. Do, buddy. Tag team. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, I'm not sure I would ever explain to a customer how to test a capacitor under load. That's true. Well, just yeah. da- dazzle me. Dazzle okay. me with your technical knowledge while also making me feel like I'm walking with you. So, Nate, I, I had an opportunity to look at your system today, and uh, you mentioned it wasn't cooling, that you're hot and sweaty. Uh, yeah, you can see here, Brian uh, here looking a little hot. Yeah, Brian here seems to think it's from Google. His apprentice. So I, I could tell you right now, <laughs> something's going on here in this house, okay? Yeah, I'm hot and sweaty, too. Okay, got it, got um, it. Thank you. So, I, I ran the system. I went through it very thoroughly. Um, we can certainly explain this a little more in depth if you prefer, but... Ultimately, what I found is there is not enough refrigerant in this unit. So the indoor coil is starting to freeze. It's not going to provide cooling the way it should. It's blocking airflow on the indoor unit. So at this point, you have a leak somewhere in this unit. We're going to have to figure out where this leak is coming from if we want to repair this. And then ultimately, we're going to have to recharge this as well. well Tyler, let me stop you there. So the, the leak, I mean, is that something that I should be concerned about as far as my health? Um, I, I'm not a technician or anything like that, but is, is that leaking into the air? Are we breathing that in right now? Uh, it's possible. Some of it could be. I mean, the risk is very minimal unless you're in a confined space. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, you know, that's certainly a concern. But I did have some questions about how the unit actually operates. Like, uh, you know, obviously it was, we were having some experiences of um, it not working and, or not working well. Right. And we started hearing some stuff kind of going on that was weird. Could you kind of like walk me through what exactly is not working? Absolutely. So I think first let's kind of explain how this unit is supposed to work. So air conditioners don't magically make cold air. They transfer heat from one location to another. So if you remove heat from a substance, it gets colder. Okay. And that's basically what it's doing to the air in your home. Okay. Well, the, the medium that it uses to transfer heat from one location to another is refrigerant. That's what's actually absorbing heat and then rejecting it through the outdoor unit. That substance that we use to transfer that heat in your instance is low there's not enough of it to transfer this heat from one location to another that's why you're saying the house cooling. is hot right okay got it and so because the you called it a, a medium a medium All right, so that's that's just a term for like the the thing that is getting the heat outside the house correct okay so that's not happening or not happening sufficiently enough and so and you're saying that's because of a leak yes so is there supposed to be a certain amount in the system yeah, so every system comes pre-charged. Um, sometimes you have to little, add a little bit extra after install, depending on line set length. But the system is designed with a specific amount of refrigerant in mind. Um, as long as it's not it's charged correctly and airflow is okay, it should be able to perform your cooling needs as you see fit. Uh, in this instance, that amount is no longer in there. We can tell that by looking at the pressures on your on our refrigerant gauges. Not sure how much has actually leaked out, um, but either way, you're low. Okay, so we need to add some more. We do. All right, uh, how much are we talking for that? Well, first, we ought to do a leak search. 
to see where this leak is actually coming from. So imagine car air in a car tire, right? Imagine you had a hole in this car tire. You could simply put air in it. So you could run over to the car or the gas station, spend a dollar on air, and fill up your car, your tire with air. It's going to leak back out again. Same scenario here. So your system's completely sealed. It doesn't consume refrigerant. It's not supposed to leak refrigerant. So we need to figure out where this leak's coming from. So we can do a leak search. That starts out about $500 to go in that direction. And sure. I would recommend we do that. Now, that's thing, just to find the repair? That's to find out where this leak is coming from. Now, okay. at that point, once we know where the leak is coming from, we can give you accurate pricing on do we need to replace a coil? Do we need to rebrace something? There's a variety of issues that could be going on. So I don't want to promise anything or, or make you think anything until I know exactly where it's leaking from. Now, one thing you may want to consider before you make such an investment it's a 16-year-old unit. You are beyond national average lifespan. It uses R22. This is a refrigerant that was phased out back in 2010. It was a 10-year phase-out, so it was phased out in 2020. While we can still get it, it is very expensive. Uh, realistically, you're on borrowed time with this unit, whether the repair is made or not. So it is something that you, you should consider. The cost of the repair, your utility usage with this unit, it's a 16-year-old unit, um, your 16-year-old car is not going to get as good a gas mileage as a new car. These are all things to consider in making your decision. Realistically, chances are a coil is leaking somewhere. Probably the indoor coil, but we won't know for sure. If it is that, you're looking at probably a rough cost of two to 4000 depending on the cost of the part and how Sheesh. much refrigerant is in there. How much is a new one, like a, a new unit altogether? I personally don't sell equipment. Um, however, it's going to be slightly higher than that. Naturally, you will pay more to replace the whole unit than to make a repair. Um, I don't think it's much more than that, but it really depends on what you go with. Yeah. Okay, so I, I'm I'm looking at $500 just to get me started to even find out how much more money I'm going to have to spend. And we could be looking at two to three to four grand on that, or we could be looking at uh, a new unit somewhere up above that number yet. I mean, if we if we did the repair, like what type of lifespan would I get on it? We would make no promises on expected lifespan. Sheesh. Okay. So I mean, you said it's 16 years old now, and that's you said that's above what it, uh, national uh, average is 13 years. Okay. Um, one, this, the unit's low on charge. Uh, the main motor in here is a compressor motor. Compressors will typically last you 15, 20 years. Um, but there are no guarantees in that. There's a lot of unknowns here that we can't account for. So it'd be very difficult for us to say, hey, you got another two years out of this unit or five years. I mean, who knows? It could it could die in a month. It could run for another five years. Hey, I'm uh, Brian, Nate's husband. Um, <laughs> I had a question real quick. <laughs> you wish. What, what difference does it make if I just replace it now versus hope it makes another two years or two months even, whatever it is, why not just wait and replace it then? Well, it makes a big difference. For one, have you seen the prices lately, what they have done in even six months? I am not in the HVAC industry, so no, I have not. Have you seen what your gas prices have done? Gas has gone months? up significantly. So everything has gone up recently. Now, one thing we have no way of knowing is what's our inflation going to look like next year. It's very possible that you have to pay more for the, very, for the same exact work that we could do now. Um, the other thing to consider is the utility cost. So utilities here, I think, went up about, what was it, 30% this year alone? Yep. May even be 40% in circum certain circumstances. Well, they just, I mean, was in the last year announced a 30% increase. Right. 
that tends to go up every single year. Um, so your utility costs, you're not going to get those savings now. You're going to have to wait till next year to get those savings. So that's an extra cost as well. And then whatever parts need to be replaced between now and then as well. These are all extra hidden costs. You don't know until it happens, but either way, you're, you're spending all this money on things like that when you could just bite the bullet, replace the unit, take advantage of the savings right away. Um, you don't have to worry about spending an extra $2,000 on a unit next year for the same exact thing. Uh, you're using less electricity. It's a more efficient system. keeps you more comfortable. You get to enjoy those comforts right away. Things like that. Hmm. I mean, it, it kind of seems like it doesn't make a lot of sense to invest money into a system that inevitably is going to have more breakdowns than probably, I'm guessing that part, whatever you mentioned it was, is uh, not a cheap one. The motor thingy. The compressor? Yes. It's uh, probably one of the most expensive parts in the unit. Yeah, and we're already at expected lifespan on that one. Right. Yeah. Average lifespan. Average lifespan. Yeah. Nice. Hey, good stuff, Tyler. That was that was solid, man. I hope so. Nice balance of uh, explaining how the system works and what the system is doing, as well as explaining the really just the the nuts and bolts of the dollars and cents. Right. I do force myself to use on a, a lot of analogies because I have a tendency to want to explain the technical side of things. So, like for example, air in a car tire. Right. We know it's not supposed to leak out. It's supposed to stay in, in there. What you put in there. Most people understand that very well when you're talking about a refrigeration system, how it needs to be sealed, that this refrigerant's not supposed to leak out. It's not a gas tank. You know, it doesn't consume it or anything like that. So I use a lot of analogies to, okay, help, so to when, help people understand. When the refrigerant is leaking out, the air is leaking out of the tire. Correct. You not only need to get the air back in, you need to get that tire fixed. Right. So just like a car tire, a car tire does not consume the air inside of that tire it just stays there it's not being used for anything per se but nothing's consuming this oxygen that's inside that tire also it shouldn't be leaking out of the tire you shouldn't have to go and fill your car tire up once a year or every year or every week or something like that obviously things can leak on a car tire and then you lose that air what do you have to do you have to fill it back up and fix the leak same concept with refrigeration system um even with technicians, like if I'm trying to explain the saturation temperature of a refrigerant or what saturation actually is, I will often just say water. Imagine water in gas form and in liquid form. And I'll often use that because sometimes when you start saying refrigerant, guys, it, it's tough to picture this stuff in your head. You have no basis as to what to picture it off of. You start using analogies like water, for example, boils at 212 degrees. We would say the saturation temperature of water was 212 degrees if it was at a certain pressure at sea level. So let's say you heated up water on a pot and it boiled off and you measured the steam and the steam was at 222 degrees. You've superheated that water 10 degrees. That's an easy way for guys to understand like you've boiled the water off into a gas. Superheating is the sensible temperature change from its saturation point to the actual temperature of that gas that you boiled off. Nice. I feel like I'm learning something. Yeah. Sensible is measurable. Oh, I'm back to dumb again. Crap. Yeah. So, so the best way to think about it is... Uh, you just reached Nate's saturation point. Let's say water. Superheat from here on out, buddy. This might, this might help a little bit, but 
let's say you have water at 100 degrees and you're heating it up to 212 degrees. That is a sensible change. Every BTU of energy that you put into that water, you can measure the result. It changes in physical measurable temperature. Well, let's say it hit this 212 degrees, okay? And you're continuing to add heat to it. It's absorbing heat, the water, but it's not changing in physical temperature. This would be called a latent heat change. So the physical temperature has remained the same. It's still 212 degrees, but it's absorbing massive amounts of heat as it's doing this. I mean, your burner on your stove is still on. You still have a flame on this pot. So where's this heat going? So once it heats it up enough, it'll actually convert from a liquid to a gas. And that is where your extra heat is, is in that gas. So let's say you measure the steam. It's at 220 degrees. You have superheated that water eight degrees. Yeah. So I mean, that, that's good stuff there, Tyler. And I think the power of analogies cannot be overstated because you are, in most cases, whether it's HVAC, electrical, or plumbing, you're dealing with things that most homeowners have little to no idea of what you are talking about, especially when you start talking about the actual terms like superheat and subcooling and, and even, even talking about PVC pipe. Like they know the concept, but they don't know what the different schedules are and, and you know, what pitch it's supposed to be at. It, it's all foreign. So the more analogies that you can bring in, the more things that you use a common illustration that relates to a technical complex reality the easier it is for that client to understand and then to move forward with you in the conversation to the part where you can actually provide a solution right i think the the biggest struggle with analogy sometimes is you are required to have a very good understanding of what you're trying to build an analogy of if you don't have a good understanding of it i mean it's kind of like if someone says can you explain in layman's terms what quantum mechanics means to me well, if you don't have a good understanding of quantum mechanics, you can't. So that, that is one thing. You have to have that good technical knowledge to be able to present it in a way that the average person could understand. Because if you don't, if you don't understand it yourself, how are you going to get someone else to understand it in layman's terms? Uh, well, we'll turn to Brian Burton now as he's going to do that for us. Yeah, I was, I was going to quote Albert Einstein. What did he say? If you can't explain it to a six-year-old, you don't understand it. There it is. That's a good one. Yeah, so you, you do have to have that base knowledge before you can break it down. Otherwise, you're you're using an analogy that makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah. Well, you're, you're going to be sitting there going, uh, it, it just doesn't work. Um, kind of like, yeah, if you tried to explain to me how quantum mechanics works in layman's terms. Tell me some mumbo-jumbo, I guess. But I'm still waiting. That's exactly what I would do. do mumbo-jumbo my way through that, buddy. I see the gears turning. <laughs> I was looking for the nearest cracked open window to escape <laughs> through. Oh, Tyler, this has been good stuff today. And as we kind of start bringing things in for a landing here, um, I want to talk to you about the idea of, of what other people can do who may not have somebody like you in their corner. So obviously there are guys listening to this podcast who are more technically minded. And I, I'm sure there are people who listen to this who are the communication gurus. Um, and they may or may not have somebody of your balance in their lives. So what can somebody like that do themselves to either begin improving or understanding, you know, their opposite or to help others along the way uh, kind of join them in the middle of where we want to be? Yeah. Uh, one, believe in yourself. Um, don't put yourself in a box. 
that you think you can't escape from or be different from. Um, the other is find someone that's opposite of you. If you're a strong technical individual, find a successful communicator. Conversely, if you're a successful communicator, find yourself a successful technical person and learn from them. So I often tell the guys, I'm not opposed to copying at all. Just make sure you're copying the best. You know, you shouldn't be copying anybody that's worse than you. That's for sure. But if you were going to copy somebody, go find the best one you can find and copy them. I'm totally okay with that. There's there's nothing new under the sun. Right. We're, we're not doing anything original. We, you might take a little something and repackage it in your own way. That's pretty much the best we can hope to do right. anymore with being it with presentation, with technical stuff. I mean, you're not inventing products. So, of course, you're copying somebody on something. Find a mentor that's further along, that is successful in that area, and mm-hmm. um, ask if you can do some R&D, rip off and duplicate. Right. Now, the advantageous thing with finding someone that's opposite to you is that it's a benefit to each other. You're not just asking for him to give you something. You have something to offer as well. If you're a strong technical individual and you go find a successful communicator, not only can he relay some of that knowledge to you and how to communicate more effectively, you can give him some knowledge on how to be a more technical individual. So it's a good dynamic. It's not just a give, 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 or take, take, take. It's, it's, a, it's a two-way street, not a one-way street, if that makes sense. Um, so that's probably the two big things. I mean, even for myself, I mean, we have some guys here that are incredibly successful at what they do. And I often tell the technicians, talk to them before you talk to me. They did it better than even I did at that time. But find the best guy that you can. See if he's willing to, to show you a thing or two um, and see if he'll run with it. I mean, that's the biggest piece of advice I can give. There's very few guys out there that aren't willing to help. Maybe it's different in other locations. Here we have a great team. You know, guys like lifting each other up instead of tearing each other down. So if a guy wants help and he's willing to go out there and ask for it, he's going to be given it. And uh, some of our very effective communicators and very technical guys, they don't skip a beat. If they're asked to help someone, someone says, hey, I'm really struggling with how to understand refrigerant, for example. They will get that help right away, but they have to take that initiative. Um, you know, you got to want that for yourself. So don't expect a very good communicator to go out of their way to teach you communication skills you need to go out of your way to go talk to them to figure out how to be better with communicating. Uh, Role-playing, especially for the guys that struggle with communication. Role-playing is a huge, huge thing. If you are not comfortable with talking to people, and if that's your huge holdup, you need to do more role-playing. And you need to do it in a group setting with your peers. You need to force yourself into those uncomfortable zones. Um, You're going to build calluses, mental calluses. And this is what's going to help you in the home. If you don't have these mental calluses, you're going to be struggling in the house. Um, even technical, role-playing technically. That's another good way. You role-play technically at the shop, outside of the home. You Maybe different scenarios. How do I test certain things? You build these calluses. You, you get this experience before you're ever in the home. And then when you're in the home, you have confidence. You're not trying to learn it on the fly with Joe the engineer behind your back breathing down your neck you know so there's different ways of doing that but joe the engineer is at my house right now by the way he is joe, joe moore our uh, our super one of our <laughs> other super techs yep he's uh working on my hvac system at home as we speak yeah um but the big thing is 
I mean, one, yeah, find someone that's opposite to you. So like for myself, if I was a technical guy trying to improve my communication skills, I wouldn't want to go to Joe. Not that he's not good at those communication skills, but he excels technically. Um, it wouldn't make much sense for me to go talk to somebody about something that I already excel in. That makes sense. Sure. It's always great to just keep bouncing it off each other. Absolutely. If, if you're going to find a mentor, find a mentor in the part you're the weakest at. Mm-hmm. And again, if like, let's say Brian was a great communicator, I was great technically. We can teach each other something. It's not just a one way street where I'm just always bugging Brian. You know, what can you, what kind of wisdom can you beam down on me today? Right? No, we can impart wisdom back and forth. So it's a mutually beneficial agreement, so to speak. Well, this has been a mutually beneficial podcast for us, and I hope that our listeners have found it the same. Tyler, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, We appreciate not only what you've brought to our listeners today, but um, I personally thank you for what you bring to our team here. Uh, It's so good to have you leading the crew, and you've done things to revolutionize our team in such a short period of time. Uh, It's truly impressive. I mean that, and I appreciate you taking the time to share your thoughts with us today. Thanks, Nate. Thanks, Brian. It was a pleasure. We're uh, Not only do we feel very fortunate to have you on the show today, but I, Nate, the rest of the leadership team for sure, and the, um, the vast majority of the people who are fortunate enough to be on the team here feel blessed to have you as part of this organization. And I mean that, you know, I've been a fan of yours since I got here probably a year after you did, Um as you can tell by being invited to the house many, many times and uh, hanging at the bonfire with me, um, you're, an, you're a great asset to this team. And, and I think to the trade as a whole, I think as your, as your star continues to get brighter and, and I believe you'll shine on the whole industry and I'm excited to be part of making that happen. Thanks, guys. Well, we hope you enjoyed this podcast. It was good to have Tyler on the show with us and I hope that you are seeking for that blend in your own life. Uh, Whether you find yourself to be more technically uh, proficient or more communication strong, uh, we want to be moving towards the center of both of those, pulling in both the know-how and the know-how to talk to about the know-how to the clients. Uh, That goes across the trades and even outside of the trades. And we hope that this podcast has served well in challenging you to strengthen your weaknesses and to help others do the same. It is our goal to be doing that each and every podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this one. Leave us a note, a comment, give us a five-star review. We'd love for you to share this with your friends, family, and other people around the industry. And we can get the word out and help others to make their days and their careers more enjoyable and fulfilling. That's it for this podcast. We hope that you have found it beneficial. We want to challenge you as we do every week to make sure that you are working towards making yourself better, to choosing to wake up every single morning and waste no day.